Scrub fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project within the larger podcasting oeuvre that is, let me tell you something. We're still in the year 2022 as far as Meltzer Five Star rated matches go. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and with you as always is your other co-host... Simon Cross. Simon, we're covering a five-star regular against a man that I think at various points during his career many people would never have expected to see in this list. And for a championship that no one ever expected to be in this list either, I don't think. And actually, technically also, even though we watched it on a promotions website and it's for a particular promotions belt that we've covered numerous times in New Japan, it is technically a brand new promotion for this project. So who are we covering and what are they fighting for? We are covering a match taking place for the King of Pro Wrestling Championship, or COPW for short. We are, as Lorcan alludes to, talking about a five-star mainstay, and that man is Shingo Takagi, of course. And here's where our radar gets some unusual readings on it, because opposite Shingo Takagi is uh, Tai Chi. (laughs) Yes, I said Tai Chi. Yes, that Tai Chi. Definitely that Tai Chi. Google it if you don't believe us. No one else could rock those trousers slash trunks like Tai Chi. (laughs) And it's not in New Japan, technically. It is the promotion that is run by Takamichinoku called Just Tap Out Professional Wrestling. It was, as is so many... I've always said that you could do a family tree of Japanese wrestling promotions because it does seem like basically every promotion in Japan exists because a wrestler from a father promotion or a mother promotion left to form their own promotion sometimes taking some of the talent or in the case of pro wrestling no and nearly all the talent with them as they go on <laughs> so obviously you had JWA which was Ricky Dozan from there comes New Japan with Antonio Inoki and All Japan from Shohi Baba. And then from New Japan, you get UWF with Akira Maeda. You get Zero One with Shinya Hashimoto. And so on and so on and so on. From All Japan, you get Noah with Mitsuhara Masawa. You get FMW with Atsushi Onita. The mad bastard. And so on and so on and so on. And this one is born from... It's Takamichinoku's promotion. And I think that it's mainly made up of Takamichinoku trainees on the undercard. And I assume there's some of the lumberjacks surrounding the ring, because that's one of the things we didn't say about this. This is a gimmick match, as is the concept of the King of Pro Wrestling trophy, or whatever it is that it's for at this point. Well, you're under-egging the pudding there. It's a double gimmick match. Well, that's the thing. So, KOPW, what's most remarkable about that title was it was introduced by Kazuchika Okada. It was his idea, apparently. You know, like how Chris Jericho's credited with coming up with money in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> in kayfabe, anyway. And Okada introduces it, so everyone thinks, oh, this is going to be something really important. And then when he has the title match, I think he gets rolled up by Toriano. And that's the last time he ever bothers fight wrestling for it again. And then it becomes essentially a comedy. It's, it's sort of New Japan's equivalent of the old WWF Hardcore Championship. Or the Iron Heavy Metal Weight, or whatever it's called in DDT. It's like it's their 
semi-joke title. Yeah. I think they even described that it like, exists on the orbit of New Japan. Because they have taken it to other promotions and like JTO. And the matches are always gimmicked. And the idea is that... Because no progress had a title, or I don't know if they still do. With the idea that whoever won the belt, they get to choose the stipulation of the matches going forward until they lose it. So, say a deathmatch wrestler wins it, then they said, well, every time this title has been defended whilst I'm a champion, it's going to be in deathmatch rules. But then someone who's not much of a deathmatch wrestler somehow wins it from him. But they're more of a submission wrestler, so then the title becomes, on their decision, it's a submissions match. Yeah. So on and so on and so on. I would have my championship belts be uh, 30-second time limit matches. <laughs> that reminds me uh, of that clip of that Chucky T versus Trent one-minute Iron Man match. Yes. <laughs> and that's the kind of vibe, in a set, in a way, in a way, that I think you're describing with what this championship's supposed to be. Not not Americanized levels of comedy, but for Japan. And yet, here we are discussing it in a five-star project episode. I mean, one half of it is Shingo at the end of yeah. the day. Well, I guess this is like the ultimate challenge of what can Shingo do, because Shingo is like the ultimate utility player for New Japan, it seems to be. Is he Japanese James Milner? I guess so. By He's about the same age. You wouldn't believe it. You know, he was a junior heavyweight when they needed him to be, although I think I've said this before... I, after he wrestles John Moxley in the G1, one of Moxley's comments when he was doing the backstage afterwards was like, the hell that guy's a junior heavyweight. You liars. <laughs> <laughs> and for 2021, the doldrums of it with the clap crowds and everything and the injuries piling up on most of the main stars of the roster or the unavailability of them, mm. Takagi takes the ball and runs with it all the way to Wrestle Kingdom. And we must have covered at least four or five or six five-star matches in 2021 for Takagi, with the, usually with the IWGP. It starts off with him losing the Never Openweight title to Tanahashi. Yeah. And then he had some matches. He won the title, I think, off of Okada. No, no, no. He was supposed to wrestle Okada for the vacant title, but then Okada was injured after Will Ospreay had been injured in the first place, and then he had to face Tanahashi ah. for the vacant title. Yeah. But anyway, he does all that, and then, for you know, you go from main eventing Wrestle Kingdom one year, and then the very next year, you're doing the pre-show Rambo to decide who's going to be the next KOPW champion. And fair play to Takagi, he's taken it all, and he's run with it, and now he's, at the time of recording, he's going to be challenging Okada for the title, for the IWGP World Heavyweight title, because he's the utility player, he's the guy that they know that they can get a great match out of. Match so great that some guys will give five stars to him doing a semi-comical, or at least starts off as comical, match against Tai Chi. Yeah. As little as I've seen of New Japan means I've seen precious little of Tai Chi. So this is actually my first Tai Chi match in full, to my knowledge. You never watched any of the stuff like in G1 times? No, no, I can't say I have. I'm a big name slut when it comes to New Japan, to be honest. Mm. What Tai Chi has been uh, as the years have gone by is, is fascinating. In a way, this match is like a distillation of what Tai Chi's whole career in New Japan has been almost. A guy that was seen partly as a joke, well, mostly as a joke, 
He was seen also like a troll. He was like a prototypical mid-card version of what Jay White was trying to do in the main event scene. Okay. In that he's just trying 100% to be a heel. Not wrestling the most exciting style possible if it didn't fit within the character that he's supposed to be playing. Hmm. Which is a somewhat deluded lip-syncing and dressing up like the Phantom of the Opera. Pop star. <laughs> Pop star with rip-away trousers. <laughs> <laughs> he takes off during the match. And a female valet, which for New Japan is rare. Yeah. And somewhat obsessed with sumo wrestling as well. That's why they kept doing that. Yeah. I don't know how obsessed he is, but he'll reference it. I remember whenever I watched him in the G1, he would very often backstage be talking about like comparing it to sumo fighters and records that they have and everything. Because don't they, don't, didn't they nick the G1 format from sumo? Well, not nick it, but just the tradition of sumo is that like every there's about six to eight tournaments every year, and that's right. how it works in the round-robin format. Okay. Yeah, Nick's probably the wrong word, but... No, took inspiration from, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So we've got this sumo-obsessed faux pop star against a man who, like you say, he is a utility player. I, I, I did, I have in previous episodes said I would like to see him with the IWGP championship I, I, like again yeah a little bit I don't think he got a big run with it well I don't think it was ever necessarily intended I think I said when he was starting to rack up the five star matches pretty soon after he signed with the company yeah that I don't think they saw him as a main eventer they saw him as like an inheritor of the Tomohiro Ishii mantle but the situations as they turned out in 2021 and him just continuing to not be injured <laughs> Not be injured, but also continue to take everything that they've given him. And like, as I said, Takagi was so great that he got the money clip over effectively. Yeah. That's how good he is. There are some people that would argue he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. I haven't seen enough of his Dragon Gate stuff to say one way or the other. I can say that he wrestled in my favorite match I've ever seen live. If you want to delve back in the archives and listen to the match of the week where we talk about him and Naruki Doi, a fellow Dragon Gate star, challenging the Briscoe brothers for the Ring of Honor tag team titles at Liverpool in 2007. That was the best live show I've ever seen. I think it's just like almost nothing ever goes wrong with him. Mm. He does stuff at such a quick pace and so much power and force goes into it. Yeah, he's he's got all the elements, hasn't he? And he looks good as well. Yeah, he can... Do a, a toe-to-toe slap fest, slug fest against Ishii, but he can go at the pace that Will Ospreay goes better than anyone else on the roster, seemingly at least who aren't junior heavyweights. Yeah, yeah, he's the, yeah, he's the best heavyweight in terms of speed comparatively to Osprey. You're right. Obviously, we've got Hiromu and um, Ishimori, but th- they ain't ever gonna cross paths for a long time. Yeah. Whereas Tai Chi is almost the opposite. It was there, there was this belief for the longest time that Tai Chi just drags everyone down around him. Like before Yujiro Takahashi was taking that mantle with his recent G1s, it was seen as like like Turianu's your, your comedy match and Tai Chi's you just try and get anything out of him match. And the character is meant to be like at times not that good. Ah. Like he keeps weaseling his way into things. Like I remember just. He got. I think wasn't he part of Suzuki Gun though? Yeah, he was Suzuki Gun, and that's the thing. As G ones went on, he gradually started doing better and better. So the point that I think he beat Suzuki in their one and only 
match against each other in the G1. See, I thought you might have seen this match with him, that he had the match with Kota Ibushi in the final, I think it might have been the final night of a G1 for that block, where it was literally just leg kicks. Oh. The entire match was him and Ibushi kicking each other's legs. I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. One of the funny things with these Just Tap Out shows done with co-productions, essentially, with New Japan, where New Japan put it on as pay-per-view, and they sort of loan out their talent, is that those are the shows where, like, Suzuki-goon get to be the stars. <laughs> it's like an episode of a show that follows, a, like, a minor character for one episode. Oh, like the episode of Scrubs where they follow Ted, Laverne, and Todd the Surgeon, which is one of my personal favourites. Yeah, it's basically one of those sort of episodes. Yeah. Like, there was one... That they had where Dookie fought, wrestled in the main against uh, Tai Chi. And they went like 26 minutes and people were saying it's like a fantastic match. And at the end of it, Tai Chi's like giving Dookie a little pep talk. And like saying, you should believe in yourself. It's crazy that you got here. And even if you do lose all the time, we still love you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Desperado gets to fulfill his love of deathmatch wrestling last year. By having a deathmatch with the guy's name escapes him, but like a deathmatch veteran. And, like, even Meltzer gave it four and three-quarter stars. And basically the only reason he didn't give it five stars seems to be that he doesn't want to give death matches five stars. Mm. And he says he didn't like the match, but, you know... Oh, yes, I remember that. Meltzer's weird actual belief, it seems, that his star ratings are objective, which is a big mistake. I mean, I'm not giving this match five stars. I like it a lot, but I don't see five stars in this person. It was very technically clean. It told a good story, and it went 30 minutes. Yes. Which I suppose goes into the nature of what Texas Deathmatch is supposed to be. I think we haven't even elaborated that this was a double gimmick. I think the idea with King of Pro Wrestling matches are that both guys come bring forward a gimmick that they want. And then they sew it together to make a match. Well, sometimes I think they sew it together, but usually I think it goes to a vote on the website or whatever. So I'm just looking at some of these some of the rules that they've had in the past. They've had I quit matches, dog cage matches, no rope ring out matches. That was when Tai Chi won the title. And I guess that basically means sumo, but on a, in a wrestling Yeah. Ring. Like Big Show Akibono. Yeah. This one's like um, Takagi's specialty, which is a 30 count pinfall match. Now that doesn't sound as bad as you might think. In this <laughs> you don't have to pin the person for a 30 count. The idea is that you cumulatively pin them over 30 so if you get a two count that's two and then you get another two count that's four and then over time the one that reaches 30 is the one that wins the match so then sort of like snooker first of first two basically in terms of pin seconds it's almost like the if you do it as a countdown from 30 then it's like darts that's the other one i had in my mind yeah though you don't have to finish it with the two count (laughs) oh that'd be mint because then you could get it where someone's he tries to lift his head up after the two count, but the guy lies down to make sure it's free. But what's also weird about the title is the notion that it's provisional all year round. And that the person who's holding it at the end of the year is the one that becomes the champion. Oh, So it's, so it's like a whole year championship scramble with extra yeah. gimmicks like sewn in, basically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> The best, what I like about this is you've explained it and given me information I didn't know about it. And it's not your fault, but now I understand it less. 
Did you just basically think it was like the hardcore championship? But, although not with the twenty four seven. Yeah. Really. I've always just like wacky. We both have a gimmick, so no one's really disadvantaged, but sort of sort of disadvantaged situation, basically. I'm just looking at some of these other previous gimmicks there were. There was Toriyanu faced Bad Luck Fale in a body slam or no corner pads match. So I think one guy had to remove all the corner pads before the other guy body slammed them. Now I wonder which way round that was. <laughs> but the idea that like Takagi can't help but still pull out amazing matches and take it all very seriously, even when it's the championship that literally the only other person that's truly been the champion before him is Toriano. He can't help it with the shitty little plastic toy trophies <laughs> carrying to the ring. What's that? What's that about? Well, that's the provisional title. If you notice, there's a much bigger version of it at the end in the ring. Because that's like the official championship. So it's like, you were the last one to hold it, so therefore you're now the champion. And that's what the trophy represents. But now, they've turned it into a belt. Again, it's just making it more confusing. Yeah, I'm further away. (laughs) Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my hardest, but I am further away now. So I think... To go back to the match, as I said, this match almost distills everything about Tai Chi that he's seen as a joke and only a comedy act, and then just gradually over time he he improves in the eyes of people, especially through his G1 performances. And he spent 2021 pretty much entirely in the tag division, trading the belts back and forth with other people, along with Zack Sabre Jr. as Dangerous Techers. Mm. I don't know if you saw the exchange. There's a really funny one. They lose the titles to Naito and Sonada. And then Sa- Saber and Taichi come back and like demand that they have a rematch with them. And then they say, we don't like you, Taichi. Stop talking to us. And Taichi has to turn his back. We like Sonata. Sonata will give us the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... it's... Again, like, yeah, the, the King of Pro Wrestling titles taken so not seriously by New Japan. They even take the IWGP tag titles more seriously. <laughs> but this match, yeah, it's like... One of the things that always I find fascinating about the Texas Death Rules, which is what it's... It's called Last Man Standing, but it's going by the old Texas Death Match Rules, which is where Last Man Standing is derived from. And that was, I think, popularised. I don't know if it was invented, but it was popularised in the Amarillo Territory, the Dory Funk Senior Territory. Right. And the idea with that was that it could go on for hours. Because there's a difference between pinning someone down for three seconds and keeping them off the mats after that like getting up at a 10 counts because that was what would trigger a 10 count you pinning them first and so apparently it would go on for like hours sometimes and i think it was also force count anywhere i might be wrong there but i think it was before there was a term for it and that's what they play up in this one and one of the things that always bothers me with those ones where you've got to put it put in multiple falls into a match if you don't make it go super long like those old texas death matches do then suddenly people are getting pins off of something they never should have got off of before. Yeah. You get a little bit of that in this. You know, like like how in Survivor Series matches, it's like the only time that AJ Styles might pin someone off a of Blue Thunderbomb. Yeah. Or back in the day, Ted DiBiase, I think, pinned Jim Neidhart with a clothesline. Yeah, or Baron Corbin <laughs> slide out the ring, slide back in the ring, clothesline. Because they just got to make up time and they don't want to use up all the finishes Straight away. multiple times. And that is what this does, it builds up to it. But I, I at least appreciate that what they pin them with in the start is with cradles, yeah. you know? And I do also like that when Tai Chi pins him with, I think it's the G- Gado clutch as well that he pins him yeah. with. Yeah. 
He actually is able to keep him down for like six seconds of the ten count. Oh, you well. see Shingo start to panic a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And he's also kind of getting embarrassed in that moment as well. Yeah. I think the reason that Meltzer loved it is that there was so much creativity in it. Taking the rules and doing something interesting with it. And not using the pinfall so much. I think there's like... They both get each other with cradles. Then towards the end, they both pin each other at the same time with a double clothesline, which I felt was a bit too gimmicky a yeah. finish. And then Taichi hits Takagi with loads of stuff, pins him, but Tai Takagi's able to get up before the ten counts. And uh, but then when Takagi similarly hits everything up at Taichi, Taichi's not able to get up. No, he, he, he almost, but he collapses so valiantly at the end. Mm, mm. And also, Taiji gets hoist by his own petard with the uh, exposing of the corner buckles. Well, no, Shingo exposes the turnbuckle. I don't think so. He does, because it's one of my notes, because he starts undoing it and then gets the lumberjacks to do it because he can't be asked. What Taichi does? No, Shingo. Let me have a look at this So first. I'm going to get my notes here. Taichi loosens corner pad. That's what I've got noted down. Ah, so why have Shingo gets Lumberjacks to remove turnbuckle padding? It's after his, like, corner lariat. Um, He's hit Last of the Dragon. He's hit Made in Japan. Gets the pin. But Taichi gets up. No, because this has gone way, way earlier in the match. Oh, maybe I missed that then. Um, Yeah. Maybe he, like, initially loosened it. But when it's taken completely off, it is Mm. Shingo that does it. Mm. Well, anyway... Taichi started it. <laughs> um, Truly, yeah, Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, just the story of the match is Taichi's overwhelmed initially. But again, I do love that there's strategy in it. Like when Takagi pins him with a cradle, it's kind of pointless because Taichi's not beaten up, so it's not going to be hard for him to get up. So he just takes the count. He sits down for ages, kind of arguing with the ref. And just being generally quite pissed off at how everything's turned out yeah. before getting up. And then similarly, then it becomes, ah, he can he can surprise Takagi. Because he surprised him with his sumo throw out of the ring. And because it's lumberjack rules as well, Takagi's kind of a, he's at and ends with himself. And he's pushed in the ring as well. So he kind of is lost and then he gets caught in the cradle. So again, you got enough logic for why... These cradles that don't usually win it. Oh, that's another way, in, in a way, where sort of Tai Chi's, the, the, the environment works against him. Because there's one point where he's knackered and manages to get Shingo out of the ring. But because Shingo's thrown back in so quickly, <laughs> by the time Tai Chi turns around, he just gets bodied. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also, because obviously when you think of lumberjack matches, it's always the heels beating up the face. And you sort of get that, but not much, because the vast majority of the Lumberjacks seem to be young lions from the New Japan Dojo and various people that I assume are Michinoku trainees. And then oddly Hiromu. <laughs> yeah, well, Suzuki Guna represented by Duke Doki, who does get a few kicks in when he can. And early on in the match, Hiromu Takahashi turns up, I suppose, to try and neutralize yeah. Duki. Although he doesn't really fight Taichi I don't think at any point but no but when Lumberjacks are trying to like because there's a few Lumberjacks trying to get to Shingo very early on Hiromu's the one like punching them in the back like yeah what I like about the Hiromu character as well is it's very realistic that he forgot this match was on and Naito (laughs) had to remind him (laughs) 
I think what it is is that Takahashi was in the match before this, where he faced Takamichinoku. Because the show was to celebrate Takamichinoku's 30th anniversary of wrestling and Taichi's 20th anniversary of wrestling. Oh, yes, this was the, 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 the cheat to get Cumulative to 50. Cumulative 50. Yes. Yeah, to match New Japan. And he'd faced Takamichinoku in the match before this, where Takahashi had said, I can beat you in a two out of three falls match in less than 10 minutes. And he beat him in a two out of three falls match, but it took slightly more than 10 minutes. Ah, But again, I don't think Hiromu is that bothered. It's, he's weird, but yeah. in a good way. I was wondering actually as well with Tai Chi's strategy, it's almost like he absorbs a lot. It's almost like rope-a-dope at some point. Mm. But I was also saying it's kind of like a team, when, you, when you're facing off against like a Pep Guardiola team, you absorb all of the pressure and then you catch them on the counter-attack. Yeah. And it's like, Takagi is hitting him with a series of forearms that stagger Taichi. But Taichi kind of sees the moment where his hands are down and hits him with one. And Takagi, again, because he's so good at selling, just sells utter shock. Like, like, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. It, it, are you basically calling Taichi the Valt Veghorst against um, Takagi's um, Argentina in the World Cup? Well, wasn't Takagi meant to be James Milner? Yeah, I, I, I'm... I'm as you can tell, I'm I'm sewing football analogies together, <laughs> mixing gimmicks and mixing analogies. It's all about synergy this episode. Yeah, I like it when people bring creativity and thought into a gimmick, especially if it's something where they're not usually involved in the gimmick match. Yeah, or the gimmick matches, like when people would take on the Dudley Boys in a table match. I'd like it if they bring some sort of their own personality into the into the story. I can't remember many off the top of my head that would have been like that. Mm. Dave Taylor. You know, I guess an example of that would be like the ladder match, the four way ladder match that was like the Hardys, London and Kendrick and Eminem and Regal and um, Dave Taylor. And their thing is that they're both afraid of heights. (laughs) Well, turns out Jerry Mercury was the one to have something to fear in that match. Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I just like that when you do something and, and someone's out of their depth. And with this one, they're both kind of out of their depth because they're New Japan wrestlers so they're not used to these kind of gimmick things. And similarly with Desperado, it's more like he's got some perverse interest in death matches. <laughs> he's like that kid that keeps touching like the live electricity. Yeah. <laughs> the electric fence. It's like, stop it! <laughs> but, but considering there's two gimmicks in this match, it didn't feel gimmick-y. Well, I think it did feel gimmicky, but it didn't feel overwhelmed by the gimmick. I think it worked within the gimmick's parameters as well. That's what I mean. It didn't feel like over-tortured, overdone. But a friend of mine and a listener of the podcast, one of his worst types of matches to watch, and I think it's because he's only seen really the WWE slant on them, is the I Quit match. Because wrestlers will go from like being able to absorb a large amount of punishment to like being punched in the face, and it's like, it's 30 seconds in, do you quit? And then there has to be that, no! Yeah, you need to build up to it over time. So what I'm saying is this definitely isn't that. This is the other end of the spectrum for a gimmick match. So yeah, in general, I don't have a lot to say. Like like I said, it's it's Taichi having his moments in the main event, which you're not really going to get that often. Yeah. I mean, now, post-Suzuki Goon, a lot of people are wondering, is he going to lead a faction? Are him and... Zach going to become co-leaders of a faction? And instead, what we've got is like um, a, a watered-down version of it at the moment. And they're just four guys. That's their team name, just four guys. Yeah. 
it's Takamichinoku, Tai Chi, Duki. Is it Kanemaru? I don't think at the moment. I think Desperado is a bit up in the air. Well, there's all these rumors about people going elsewhere. Maybe this year that there's going to be a quite a big. I don't want to say clean out, but a big change up of things. Yeah, and Zach's the mighty don't kneel. Yeah, but he's also gone like bleach blonde as well. Mm. I don't know. That could have worked with Tai Chi. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Like as well that weirdly Tai Chi did start off as a junior heavyweight, but he does have that like paunch, slight paunch. Yeah. That again works with this sort of slightly delusion. He's almost Jericho esque in a way, like uh, except he believes he's the Phantom of the Opera in a musical, <laughs> rather than a, a heavy metal rock star. Uh, well, you know, I think Jericho lived that gimmick a little too much, and then rode back it. Ray has reined it back in. In fairness, yeah. But for Tai Chi, I think I'm glad as I followed him over time because I'd heard so much bad stuff about him. I didn't even like you. I almost was like, I'm not going to bother watching most of these matches. But then just in the G1, he made it work and he was that great. You know, it was like a, it was like a banana peel that they could slip on in a different way. Yeah. You know, with Toriano, its whole thing is that he'll catch one or two guys, you know, taping them up or whatever. Didn't Yano beat Moxley? Oh yeah, Yano's beaten tons of guys. It was the whole storyline for a whole year that he just kept beating Suzuki. <laughs> he was driving Suzuki crazy. Who will eventually have killed him. <laughs> yeah, like y- Yano can beat an Okada in the right situation in the G1 Climax. And he gives them like a day off. That was always what we said. It was like he was the day off guy for them. And that can allow them to do their group blocks so that, you know, the yeah. the crazy mathematical formulas that go into that booking. <laughs> Booking a G1 must be like that Charlie and Always Sunny meme. Well, imagine doing it when one or two guys get injured and can't do it anymore, and they have to then forfeit the points of the matches they haven't wrestled yet. <sighs> they must have, like, so many different, like, variants ready at the <laughs> drop of a hat. Gato loves a spreadsheet. You know you've got those data analytic guys at the back of football yeah. games now. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Okada's carrying a limp. He thinks he can go on, but I need more. Mo- I need more equations. <laughs> I need more round robin formulas. Stats. <laughs> Is it too late to make a fifth group? <laughs> Ring Noah. They ain't busy. <laughs> so yeah, I would give this match a four stars for just being a lot of fun. Uh, maybe push it up to four and a quarter. But um, I'm glad I got to talk about Tai Chi for half an hour. Really. <laughs> yeah, we, we've sort of hijacked the match to sort of it's, it's sort of become which is kind of what the match was a celebration of tai chi yeah and and just another another chance for takagi to show just how versatile and creative he is and how much of a team player he is you know he's he went from main event in the dome to this place that for you know for like their equivalent of not even their next t like their ovw it looks very much like a town hall yeah yeah but with chanting though that was surreal. That was nice. Yeah. Um, Sign that things are maybe going to change now next year, and who knows where both guys will end up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, maybe more. Maybe we'll get to see more of Takagi facing Okada, the Okadas next year in main events. Because the one main event he gets given this year, he still manages to rustle a five-star match <laughs> out of it. In the eyes of Meltzer, anyway. Yeah, um, rating-wise, I, I, I would be the same as you four stars okay. it's just good clean fun well it's not clean but it's, it's good fun yeah but that'll be it for this episode 
Next week, we're into 2023 at last, and it's the match that's already, I think, going to be your um, one to beat as far as your match of the year candidates for the majority of people. It's it's already sparking conversation. Simon, who are the participants? What's the event? <sighs> Two linchpins of the list at this point. Two already top fivers, I think pretty much solidifying their place in it all we're talking about the iwgp us championship match where will osprey defends not only the championship but his pride new japan itself maybe and his is fighting for status to be recognized as unanimous top gaijin against the former undisputed holder of that title one kenny omega it's the generational gaijin battle oh boy and it got rated not five stars by dave Meltzer, not even six stars by dave Meltzer, but six and a quarter stars only one of the matches achieved that which was okada omega 2 at dominion the 60 minute time limits and the only one that did better than that is Okada Omega 4, which got the seven-star matches. And you know, the crazy thing is, going into this, I feel like Omega and Osprey maybe even held some stuff back. And so I would not be surprised if we see a dusting off of the seven-star rating again in the future. But we're not talking about the future. We're talking about the recent past. And that's where we'll be next week. But in the interim, if you want to get in touch with you, Simon, to give you some... Tai Chi wrestling playlists to watch. How can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of accoutrements to uh, Tai Chi's costume. That being his microphone, his mask, and of course, his ripper away trousers. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N as in adhesive strip. Not for me, thanks. That's my Twitter handle and Instagram. Just to make clear, that's the A in the adhesive and the N in the not. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterboxing, put at gmail.com at the end of it. That's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. So Cinderella sold her soul. There's no such thing as rock